and uh, as we just mentioned, March the 19th. Um, and of course, we think about February and March, and um, one wonderful thing about February and March is we're looking towards spring, right, and warmer weather, and uh, we praise God for warmer weather, amen? Uh, but looking forward to that. But as we get to warmer weather, one of the things that we always try to do is um, every year our church uh, on Saturdays and sometimes Thursdays, depending on what we do, is we try to go out and knock on doors and invite people to church and witness and tell people about Jesus Christ. And I want to take the next few weeks and, um, you know, again, our, our theme this year is strong. Um, and uh, I think if we're going to be a strong church, and we, we talked a little bit about that this morning, uh, our emphasis ought to be on magnifying Jesus Christ. And if we're going to magnify Jesus Christ, we ought to tell people about Jesus Christ. It's hard to magnify Christ when we're not even telling anybody about him. In the next few weeks, I want to just kind of go through and really kind of deal with um, the Great Commission and uh, how important it is for us as Christians to be strong witnesses for Christ. And uh, that's what we're going to look at these next few weeks, just being a strong witness for Christ. Again, our theme is, is strong. We want to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we know that the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And if we, if we expect to be strong in Christ, and we expect the Holy Spirit to give us power, one of those things that he's going to do is he's going to enable us, he's going to give us the power that we need to be witnesses for him and to tell people about Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, notice with me in verse number 19 and 20, these are not unfamiliar verses. I believe these are probably very familiar to, to everyone here, those watching via live stream. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The Great Commission um, is not something that Jesus has given us as a um, something that we can choose whether to do or not. Now, we can choose whether to do it or not, but to choose not to do it is disobedience because he's told us where to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can choose not to do it. We have free will, but to choose not to do it is disobedience to God, our father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's commanded us to go. And I know many times as Christians, we think, well, I'm just, I'm just not, you know, I'm not an outgoing person. Um, that's just not me to go out and to talk to people about Jesus Christ. And I understand that. Look, I'll be very honest with you. I'm not, I'm not an outgoing person. Um, you know, if, if I'm in a room with a bunch of people, I'm going to be sitting in the corner by myself. You say, you're in front of everybody all the time. Well, that's because God's called me to preach. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that I'm an extrovert. Um, I'll be very honest with you. I, I'm much more comfortable with somebody else doing the preaching. Now, I'm not going to let them <laughs> because God's called me to preach, right? Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not the person that just, 
Um, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not the person to go out and, uh, and just, you know, I can, I, I, look, it's hard for me to talk to people. People I know. It's hard, definitely hard for me to talk to people I don't know. You know, people just think, well, the pastor, you know, God's given him a gift of everything. And, you know, and so it's easy for him to go out and talk to people. It's easy for him to go witnessing. It's easy for him to talk to people about Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> it's not easy. You understand we all struggle with the same things. We all struggle with the same things. Just because God has given me the position of being the pastor doesn't mean that I don't struggle with the same things that you struggle with. We all struggle with the same things. But that doesn't negate us of the obligation and the duty that Jesus Christ has commanded us to go. We're to go. And so we're going to be looking at the Great Commission, different parts of it. But tonight, just to kind of set the stage, I think the thing we have to understand in understanding why Jesus has given us the Great Commission, and that is we must think eternal. If we're going to understand the Great Commission and to be able to accomplish and and fulfill the Great Commission, we must think eternal. You know, most people don't get up in the morning and think about eternity. I doubt. (laughs) Now, I know somebody's just going to, you know, say it to prove me wrong or whatever, so I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. (laughs) But I, I would seriously doubt that anybody this morning woke up thinking about eternity. Now, we, have, we may have woke up this morning thinking about church. We may have woke up this morning thinking about the Super Bowl. We may have woke up thinking about uh, breakfast, or we may have woke up thinking about uh, you know, Sunday school or whatever, but I don't think many of us actually woke up thinking about eternity and what eternity entails. I dare say that most lost people did not wake up thinking about eternity. We think about all that we have to do this day or that day, all that's going to go into it, but not about eternity. Do you know who doesn't want anyone to think about eternity? That's Satan. Satan doesn't want a lost person to think about eternity, and he doesn't want a saved person to think about eternity. A lost person, he doesn't want to think about eternity so that they'll stay lost, to stay without Jesus Christ, to stay blinded. But he doesn't want a saved person to think about eternity either. He wants a saved person to think about everything else that they're doing that day or whatever it is, their job or their family or church or whatever it is, but he doesn't want them to think about eternity because if a saved person will truly stop and think about eternity, understand we have a command to fulfill because we're talking about eternity we're not talking about 80 90 years here on this earth we're talking about eternity and for a christian we can say man i'm thankful i'm saved i'm thankful that i know i'm saved i'm thankful that i'm going to go to heaven when i die i'm thankful that we're going to be with the lord jesus christ for all of eternity we can be thankful for that but do we really stop and think about eternity. You know, just a couple page over, pages over in Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, 
He said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. But what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's talking to two different groups of people. There are those that are following him, right? He's called the people, the multitude that is there, the people unto him. But notice also they're with his disciples. So the disciples are there as well. And he's, he's causing both of them to think about eternity. He wants both those that are just the followers, those that may not have put their faith and trust in him yet, but also his disciples at the same time who were there as well. And he's, he's saying, I, I want both of you to think about eternity. Both of you think about eternity. Verse 36, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What, what, what good is it to be the, the richest man in the world? What good is it to have all the accolades that the world can give? What good is it to have everything that the world says is success and die and spend eternity in the lake of fire? What good is that? So he said, what, what, is, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and here's the thing. The devil, has, the devil has deceived the world into thinking there is no eternity. The devil is trying to use religion and these other things to, to deceive the world and think, hey, this life is all you have. So just live it up. This life is all there is because once you die, you just stop. You just cease, be, cease existing. Look, that, that's a lie of the devil. The devil wants you to think that because he doesn't want you to think about eternity. Because if you really think about eternity, really, then what does the success of this world really equate to? What does having the most money what does driving the, the fanciest car? What does living in the palace? What does, what does all of that equate to? Because here's the thing. We're all going to leave it behind. It's all going to be left behind when you think about eternity. But yet at the same time, he's also talking to, to his disciples. He says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now, he's not talking about you can earn your salvation, but he's, he's explaining to us, look, as a Christian, if, we, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, then why would we not want to give our life for the gospel's sake? Why would we not want to give our life for Jesus' sake? He says we have to deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. Are we willing to give our life for his sake? Are we willing to give our life for the gospel's sake? Why? Because we're thinking about eternity. We're thinking about eternity. Look, when I got saved, I had all kinds of plans for my life. Before I got saved, I, I, I had big plans, man. I, I thought, uh, you know, I was going to own a company and, and I was in good with my boss and things. And I thought, man, everything's going to work out just great. And, and God, when I, after I got saved, God began to change my life. And, and instead of just thinking temporarily here on this earth, I had to start thinking eternally. What good is it to have a business? Now, please understand, if you have a business here, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to have a business, but understand what I'm saying. 
What good is it to have a business if I'm not going to think eternally? What good is it to have a good job if I'm not going to think eternally? God began to change my life. God began to work. And, and instead of those things, those things being what was so important, God began to work in my life and said, hey, I want, I want you to serve me. I want you to, I want you to preach. And again, I'm not an extrovert. Uh, you, you can talk to my brothers, Keith, Matt, my sister. Man, they're, they're all out there. You know, I mean, they don't, they don't know a stranger. I don't want to know a stranger. <laughs> That's me. But I had to think eternally. I thought, Lord, you've made a huge mistake. I've got to go into churches as a missionary. And I've got to go meet preachers. And I've got to go meet people. And I've got to stand up and preach in front of all these people. You made a big mistake. But eternity matters. Are we thinking eternally or are we just thinking temporarily? Because if we're really going to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to think eternally. You think about how God used the disciples, the apostles. We, we talked about it this morning. Why was Paul able to stay in Ephesus for over two years, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, even though there was opposition to it? Why? Because he was thinking eternally. He was thinking eternally. And so many times as Christians, we, we get deceived by the devil's philosophies and the devil's ideas and the worldly philosophies, and we just stop thinking eternally, and we start thinking temporarily. Everything's about now. No, it's not about now. It's about eternity. It's about eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For a lost person, they're not going to think about eternity. They're thinking about now. They're thinking about the accolades that the world can, can give them now. Not eternity. Save people. Don't think about eternity. Can I, can, I, can I be very honest with you? That's why we don't witness. That's why we don't witness. Because we're not thinking about eternity. We're thinking about now. We're thinking about what's that person going to think of me. We're thinking about how this person is going to respond. We're thinking about maybe the rejection that they're going to, you know, to have, or maybe we're going to get cussed out. Maybe a door is going to be. We're thinking about now. We're not thinking about eternity. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're going to be able to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, we must think eternally. We have to understand that heaven and hell are real. They're not just made up. They're not just figments of somebody's imagination. They are real places. It's interesting. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Do you know that? He spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Why? Because he wants us to understand that it's a real place. And if people do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. You think about, you think about in, in the book of Luke. Go with me to Luke chapter, uh, uh, Luke chapter 16, I believe it is. In Luke chapter 16, we're not going to read the whole passage here, but in verses 19 to 31... 
We have the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Both men die. And Jesus tells us that the rich man, when he opened his eyes, he opened his eyes in hell. Now, understand, this is, this is an account that Jesus tells us over 2,000 years ago that happened. Now, understand this, please. 2,000 years ago, Jesus says that this rich man opened his eyes in hell. Do you know where that rich man is today? He is still in hell. He's still in hell. Why? Because it's eternal. We were made. We were made to live forever. This is how we were made. God made us to live forever. With him. But when sin entered the world, we were separated from God. And so now it is sin that separates us. And now if a person does not have their sins forgiven, they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. That's eternal. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of just what hell is like. And please understand, hell and the lake of fire are not the same thing. They're not the same place. Hell is where someone goes now if they die. But one day the Bible says that Jesus is going to take all those who are in hell and they're going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And then after that, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. But watch what he says just to give us a glimpse of how serious and sobering this is. In verse number 23, he says, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. In torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Do we understand that hell and the lake of fire are a place of torment? And friend, it's eternal. There's a reason why this man was begging for Lazarus to go back to his father's house and tell his five brothers Because he didn't want his brothers to come to hell. He didn't want his brothers to end up in the same eternal state that he was in. Friend, heaven and hell are real. And we could sit back and say, well, I don't have to worry about that because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And praise God for that. Praise God that we don't have to worry about that. Amen? That's a blessing. We ought to thank God every day and say, God, I thank you that I don't have to worry about where I'm going to go when I die. Thank you that you saved me from my sin. And now I know no matter when I die, I'm going to be with you for eternity. There's over 8 billion people on the earth today. And how many of them have not had the opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because we're not going, we're not telling them. See, heaven and hell are real. And Jesus is the only way. You see, we've got to grasp these truths. If we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission, we have to understand, we have to think eternally. We have to understand that heaven and hell are real, and we have to understand that Jesus is the only way. Religion is not a way. Look, we went through that this morning. Religion is not a way. Being a church member is not a way. Keeping the Ten Commandments is not a way. Being a good person is not a way. It is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Galatians 2.21, Paul says, If if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 
if, if Jesus, if we can get to heaven, if we can have our sins forgiven any other way, then it was absolutely foolish for Jesus to come and die on the cross. And I don't know if you understand this or not, but God doesn't do anything foolish. If Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, it's because there is no other way. Somehow we just get this idea, this mentality, well, somehow they'll make it. How? How will they make it? It's not going to be through religion. It's not going to be through their good works. It's not going to be through church membership. So how are they going to make it if we don't go and tell them? How are they going to know? I want you to look at this passage in Matthew. Matthew 28. Again, I would say that we all understand or we all are familiar with the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The Great Commission can be found in every gospel record as well as even in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ gives it in every account, every gospel record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the book of Acts. As before he ascends into heaven, he tells them again, you're going to be witnesses to me. You're going to go into Jerusalem and into all Judea and under Samaria and under the ends of the earth. What is that? That's the Great Commission. Where to go? To go. That's the first part of the Great Commission. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline it, circle it. Somehow, make note of that. He says, go. It's not a request. It's a command. He says, go. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go. But here's what's really interesting about this. So many times when we talk about the Great Commission, that's where we begin. We begin with the word go. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 20, go ye therefore. But it's interesting that the word go is prefaced with something. It's prefaced with a very important and powerful statement. You see, in verse number 18 is actually when Jesus begins to speak. For so, many, so often we just quote verses 19 and 20, but 18 is where he starts. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, now watch this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, go. Now, why does he preface go with this statement, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth? Because whenever someone is commissioned to go, they want to know by what authority do they have to go? What authority do I have to do this? And, and it's very interesting what, what Jesus says here when he says all power. The, the word Jesus uses here is a very interesting word. 
Many times in Scripture, when we see the word power, it is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. Power, right? But the word that Jesus uses here as power is not the word dunamis. The word Jesus uses here is the Greek word exosia. And, and when you look at this word, this word exosia, it not only refers to power in might, physical strength. Jesus is saying all power is given unto me. There's, there's the strength that he has. And that's why he says, I'm going to give you that strength as well in Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, verse number 8. When you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. You're going you're to have that strength, Right? I mean, when you, look at, when you look at what these men were able to do in Scripture, when you look at Paul and, uh, and, and the missionary journeys that he went on, when you look at Peter and John and how they were able to go to the temple and, and be able to preach, and, and the Scripture tells us that what the people thought of them, they said, these are unlearned and ignorant men. Isn't that a blessing to be called? <laughs> An unlearned and ignorant man. But yet they said they spoke with such boldness and power. Where did they get that power from? They're ignorant. They're unlearned. Where did they get the power to be able to stand up in front of those thousands of people and preach the gospel? You don't think that they had fears just like you and I have fears of talking in front of people? Where, where, did these, where did these men get the, get the power to be able to go and, and preach the gospel? Where did Paul get the power to go to Ephesus and Philippi and, and all these places? Where did Peter get the power? Where did John get the power? Where did Barnabas get the power? Where did Philip get the power? Where did they get the power to go and preach and do these things that, that were commissioned of them to do? They got it from God. They got that power from the Holy Spirit. By the way, <laughs> it's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have today. I don't know why many times we get this idea that things that happened in the Bible were different than the way they happen today, right? The God of the Bible is a different God than what we have today. The Holy Spirit of the Bible is different than the Holy Spirit we have today. You know, I mean, yeah, the Holy Spirit was able to give them power, but boy, he can't do that today. What are you talking about? He's the same Holy Spirit. He's the same Holy Spirit, the same God that did, that, that created everything in six literal days, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that did miracle after miracle after miracle. He's the same God that we serve today. So why don't we experience that power? We have the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same one. Could it be that maybe it has something to do with like what we talked about this morning? We have just become so, so, so formal in all that we do, so complacent that we don't even think we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But the word here that he uses, power, is not just referring to the physical power in might. The word power here also refers to power in authority. Power in authority. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not in your house, if you have kids. Kids can be squabbling, whatever. Pick up the living room. 
I don't have to pick up the living room. Pick up the living room. Clean it up, you know? No, I don't have to. I'm not going to do that. Mom, they won't pick up the living room. They won't clean it up. And mom says, clean up the living room. And guess what happens? Living room gets cleaned up. Same command. Right? Same command. Why did it only happen when mom gave the command? Because there's authority behind it. There's authority behind the command. Dad said, ooh. Dad said, uh, mom said, you know, have you ever noticed that? Even when mom or dad didn't say something, kids try to use that anyway. You know why? Because they know there's authority behind it. Dad said, wait a minute, what did I say? Well, uh, I mean, you know, uh, you, you know, last week you said something to the sword, you know. They know there's authority behind saying dad said it or mom said it or somebody in authority said it. They know that and that's why we use it, right? What does he say here? All power, not just might, but authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus says, all power, all might, all authority is given to me. He's supreme. He's supreme. And then what does he say? What's that word you were supposed to underline or circle or mark? What was that two-letter word? Go. Go. You see, he says, I'm not just going to give you the power to go. I'm giving you the authority to go. I'm giving you the authority to go. Can I tell you something? There is no greater authority than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, go. I am giving you authority to go. People say, who do you think you are to go over to a country and tell people about Jesus Christ and try to change their religion? Well, first of all, we're not trying to change their religion. We're trying to tell them about Jesus Christ. Who who do you think you are to be able to go out and and knock on people's door and and leave your tracks and and try to tell people about Jesus Christ? Who who do you think you are? I mean, what, what authority do you have to do that? We have Jesus Christ authority. We have Jesus Christ authority. Jesus said, go, and he said, I have all authority to tell you to go. You're going on my authority. So when we think about going, we have to understand it's not just, yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also have to understand we are going on the authority of Jesus Christ himself, the supreme power and authority that there is. And we ought to go. We have his authority. The next time somebody says, well, who do you think you are? I'm not anybody, but the, the greatest person who's ever lived and the greatest person that ever walked on this, this planet who is God in human form said to go. And I have to go. I have to tell you. I have to tell you about Jesus Christ. You may not want to listen, but I still have to go and I still have to tell you. We've been commanded to go. To go. You see, we have the authority to go, the power. But here's the thing that we have to understand. The command to go involves action. Do you understand that? The command to go involves action. If we had a missionary come in 
And this missionary said, I have been, uh, you know, I believe that God wants me to go to uh, Guam. We're just talking about Guam. Uh, I believe that God wants me to go to Guam, and we're going to go there and tell people about Jesus Christ. And we say, man, that's great. Praise God. And the missionary never leaves the country. He never goes to Guam. Do you think we would continue supporting that missionary? No, we wouldn't. Do you know why? He's not going. He said, I believe this is where God wants me to go. I'm going to go to Guam. But he never goes. He's receiving support, but he never goes. He just gets a house here in the States, and he just works here in the States and receives support from churches, but he never goes to Guam. We would say that missionary is disobedient. We would say he's not being obedient to what God has called him to do. Am I right? Would we not say that? How many of you would say that's absolutely right? Now, some of you don't want to raise your hand because you know where I'm going with this, don't you? The missionary is not the only one that's been called to go. Now, we may not be called to go to Guam, but the command to go is still there. And that command is given to every one of us as Christians. And so with the command, it involves action. And it is impossible to go while doing nothing. If we are doing nothing, then we are not going. And again, this is where, again, if we don't understand, if we don't think eternally, we get this idea, oh, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time to serve the Lord. I've got plenty of time to go later on. I've got plenty of time to tell that person about Jesus Christ. I've got plenty of time to do this. I've got plenty of time to do that. Let me ask you, who's telling you that? Because Jesus said, go now. He didn't say, go when you feel like it. He said, go. So who's telling you you have plenty of time so you can just do it later on? Well, if it's not the Lord, guess who it is? It's the enemy of the Lord. It's Satan himself. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go. He doesn't want you to witness. He doesn't want you to tell anybody else about Jesus Christ. We've been given authority to go. That involves action. We must be willing to do something. I'm going to give you a challenge this week. I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm not exactly sure how many people are here tonight. I would say probably close to 100 just by looking out here. We've been given a command to go. So here's your challenge for this week. On the way out tonight, we're going to have the ushers, and they're going to have these at the back of the door. And all I want you to do is take one. Just one. And sometime this week, I want you to go. Sometime this week, I want you to take that track, that invite, and I want you to give it to someone and say, I'd like to invite you to come to First Baptist Church. Now, please, please understand me. The purpose of this is not to be able to say, oh, man, look at First Baptist Church. This is just, you know, First Baptist Church, the only church, you know, that anybody ought to go to. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm challenging you to be obedient to the command. 
go. And all I'm challenging you to do is to take one, just one. And whether you're at the grocery store, whether you're at the gas station, whether you're in your neighborhood, whether you're at work, whatever it is, I want you this week just to take one track. You say, well, I can take 10. Just take one. Just take one. Now think about this. If there's, a, if there's about 100 people in here tonight and 100 tracks go out this week, what do you think God could do with that? You say, are you expecting 100, 100 visitors next week? Nope, I'm not. You expecting 50? Nope. You expecting one? Nope. You see, we're not doing it for results. We're doing it because we're commanded to go. And to do nothing is disobedience. To do nothing is disobedience. Going involves action. I have to be willing to do something. And so my challenge is this week, as we leave tonight, every person is going to get one track, one invite. And I want you to give it to someone this week. Just invite them. Just say, hey, I'd like to give you this and invite you to come to church sometime. You say, what if they don't accept it? Then they don't accept it. What if, they, what if they take it and throw it, crumple it up and throw it in my face? Then they take it, crumple it up and throw it in your face. Did you go? That's all he's asking. That's all he's commanded us to do is go. To go. And here's the reason why. We have the authority, but here's the reason. How many people... And again, please don't raise your hand about this. But I wonder how many people have actually had someone come up to them and say, how can I be saved? I mean, how many people at at your work have come up to you and said, can you tell me how to be saved? How many people in your neighborhood have come and knocked on your door and said, "Um, can you tell me how to be saved? How many people at the gas station or at the grocery store have have just come up to you and said, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, could you tell me how to be saved? You understand why he says go? Because they're not going to come to us. They're they're not going to come to you and they're not going to knock on your door and say, oh, please, sir, tell me how to be saved. Please, ma'am, tell me how to be saved. They're not going to do that. Now, there might be a rare occasion where God has been working on someone's heart and, and maybe you've talked to them before or something and they know you're a Christian and, and you've shared the gospel with them and they know that if they come to you, you can answer their questions. They come and they say, man, hey, John, hey, hey, Sally, whatever your name is, hey, man, we've been talking about this and God just, man, I'm convicted and I need to be saved. Can you show me how? That could happen. No doubt about that, right? Paul, Silas are in jail singing praises to God after they've been beaten, testifying about the goodness of God in jail after they've been beaten. The earthquake comes, all the the chains are loose, the bars are open, the jailer comes in, they're about ready to, 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 he's about ready to kill himself thinking that everybody has escaped. And Paul says, hey, don't don't do that. Don't, Don't kill yourself. 
And he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? Why did he say that? Now, I know some people can say, well, it's because, you know, he was afraid for his life and he thought maybe the the prisoners were going to kill him or something like that. I don't believe that's true. And here's why. Because when he came to Paul and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, put your sword down and let all these people free. What did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul understood he's, he's asking a spiritual question. Now, how did that happen? Because of what he heard, the testimony, the singing and everything that was going on. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Most of us are never going to have anybody come up to us and just say, sir, what must I do to be saved? We're not going to have that. And that's why Jesus says, go. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that not many of us have ever had that happen. And if it did, it hasn't been very often. It hasn't been often. So what's the point? My point is, if they're not going to come to us, then we must go to them. And that's why Jesus says, go. That's why he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now, I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you as a Christian, go. I'm going to give you the power that you need, and I'm going to give you the authority that you need to go. So here's the question. Are we going to be obedient and go? They're not going to come to us. We have to go to them. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That includes Eaton and Preble County and parts of Richmond and Indiana and Wayne County and Union County, wherever you might live, you're here tonight. That includes all of those areas. We may not be called to go to Guam or we may not be called to go to China or to Uganda or someplace like that. But he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I'm going to challenge you this week. As you leave tonight, just take one. Just one. Men, take one. Ladies, take one. Teenagers, take one. And sometime this week, go. You say, where? (laughs) Anywhere. Anywhere. You say, what if I give out one and I want to give out more? Well, we're not going to let you do that. (laughs) No, of course. If you want to give out more, go ahead and give out more. But I'm just challenging you this week to give out one. Just one. Next week, we're going to look at a few more things about this command to go. Because as we gear up towards the spring and as we gear up towards summer, we're going to be going as a church. We're going to be going into our community and trying to reach people with the gospel. 
But here's the thing, friend. We don't have to wait until we have a specific time in the month where we say, okay, hey, everybody has a church. We're going to come out. We're going to go out on Impact Saturday. We're going to go out on Thursday nights and go out and invite people to church. No, no, no. It can be done any day, anytime, anywhere, wherever you are and where somebody else is that you're not sure if they're saved. Hey, can I invite you to church? Man, God's doing some great things at our church. We just moved into a new building. You ought to come and see it. Would you, would you come and, and be my visitor? Come and come and I'll, I'll make sure you got a seat. You know, I'll, I'll make sure I'll show you where to go and everything. But would you, would you come? Go. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. What, what am I supposed to say? Just invite them to come. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do this week. Just invite them to come. Next week, we're going to look at some more things. But this week, just take one and invite somebody this week. Say, would you come? Be my visitor. Come to church sometime. Love to have you. You have no idea what God could do with just that one invite, that one track, and how God can use that in somebody's life. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd help us. We need to be obedient. Lord, you've commanded us to go. All power, all authority is given unto you. And you've told us to go. Lord, how sad for so many Christians that we just sit and do nothing. We're disobedient in that command to go. And Lord, I know, me personally, it's not easy to go and talk to somebody that you don't know. Lord, you've promised that you'd give us the power that we need if we'll be obedient. You've given us the authority to go. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be obedient just this week to take one and invite someone. Just invite them to come to church. Give them an invite. And that you would work through that in that person's heart and life. Lord, we have no idea what your Holy Spirit is doing in their hearts already. May you use us to be obedient to what you've commanded us to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we'll just stand quietly to our feet this evening. The piano's just going to play softly.